0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So if you, need, if you have a Bible, open up to, with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. We want you to have the Word of God in your lap. And we're continuing our, our study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's in a, in a series entitled Thrive. And because this letter is written to some believers who are going through some suffering and some affliction uh, for their faith, and so uh, Paul wants them to understand that they can not only survive their trials, but they can thrive through them. And uh, so he's writing to them, encouraging them to uh, continue to press on towards the prize in Christ Jesus and uh, all the things that they encounter, all the oppositions and all that God will use those things. Uh, to bring glory to himself. And so, uh, you know, the enemy doesn't ever win. The Lord always wins. He always wins. And and it doesn't matter what what that looks like on the horse. He always wins. So we're we're thankful for that, and we trust in that. Uh, So if you would stand, we're going to look at our these verses this morning, chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 13. We've already gone through chapter 1 where we considered the message that transforms the gospel itself. It is um, a transforming message from God. As we we encountered the first 12 verses of chapter 2, last week in a sermon entitled, Walk Worthily, uh, Paul encourages these guys to continue to walk in a manner worthy of God. And as we transition now into verse 13 through chapter 3 verse 5 we're gonna we're gonna consider the battle at hand the battle that we're in so first Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning of verse 13 we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is the word of God to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were suffering affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Father, we thank you for your word that we have before us. We ask you to speak into our lives now. We ask you to just come by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak directly into our hearts. Lord, let let these words be received from your word as directly from you. Lord, I ask you to get me out of the way and you would just speak to each and every one of us now. We thank you, Lord, that you're here, that you desire to transform and change us. And uh, we just ask that you would do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Sun Tzu's book, The War of the Art of War, is one of the most influential military manuals ever written. Although it was written about in, in the 5th century sometime, it's still being used as it contains a compilation of battle strategies that are what he claims the essentials... Of military victory I want to read a couple quotes from this book he said in one chapter victorious warriors win first and then go to war while defeated warriors go to war first then seek to win doesn't that sound like wisdom the battle begins before you even step on the field right the the the, the, the victory is won in the preparation for the battle right He says also, uh, here, if your enemy is secure at all points, be prepared for him. If he is superior strength, evade him. If your opponent is temperamental, seek to irritate him. Pretend to be weak that he may grow arrogant. If he's taking his ease, give him no rest. If his forces are united, separate them. If sovereign and subject are in accord, put division between them. Attack him where he is unprepared, appear where you are not expected. This is some good stuff, right? Sounds very, very practical. If you are, if you're, if you're in war and you're looking for strategies, these types of things help you to think about how can I, how can I win this battle? He said, really, ultimately, these, these strategies boil down to two things. Knowing your enemy and knowing yourself. Knowing your enemy and knowing yourself. He said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the rest of a 100 battles, the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. It's not enough to know the weaknesses and strengths of your enemy, nor is it enough to just know the weaknesses and strengths of yourself. You need to know the weaknesses and strengths of both your enemy and yourself. This is good practical wisdom for Christians because we are in a spiritual battle. We are at war all the time, folks. The enemy has all kinds of strategies that he deploys upon us. And so we need to understand, first and foremost, we're in a battle. I know a lot of people do not think about the spiritual realm. They do not think about The the demonic armies that are coming against you and I as Christians. And this is not something that we need to necessarily focus on, but it is something that we ought to be aware of. I mean, the Bible talks over and over about the spiritual war that we face. Paul himself, I don't know if you caught it, but in these verses brings up Satan twice. He brings up Satan twice. Understand the background of what's going on in this, in this church, this little church. They are facing much suffering and affliction. They are in a battle. The enemy has strategies that he has deployed, and Paul is bringing their attention to the reality of the spiritual war that exists. And so I think it behooves us this morning to sort of Hone in on this aspect of what he's saying. I could have gone a hundred different ways in this passage. But I believe the Lord wants to remind us this morning that we are in a spiritual battle. I've been, for some reason, this has been something on my heart here recently that, something personally that I've been, you know, researching and looking into and and just really meditating and and trying to prepare myself. And, And... and what I find is it's interesting that, did you know that it was a regular occurrence for Jesus and his disciples to cast out demons? Did you know that? Did you know that if we as Christians walked down the street and had a sense that there was a spiritual attack happening and we, we, we cast out a demon, that you would look like a lunatic. IN OUR CULTURE TODAY. LET ME ASK YOU, HAS ANYTHING CHANGED? ARE WE NOT IN THE SAME STATE AS THE EARLY CHURCH? WE'RE STILL IN A SPIRITUAL BATTLE. AND WHAT what THE ENEMY HAS DONE IS TAKEN OUR EYES OFF THE FACT that, THAT ALL THINGS ARE SPIRITUAL. EVERY PROBLEM THAT WE FACE IS A SPIRITUAL ISSUE. AND WHAT HE HAS DONE IS CAUSED US TO LABEL IT AS ALL THESE OTHER THINGS or really get our eyes off it completely and just say, well, this is just the way life is. No, it's not. I think we as Christians, we're reminded, Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. It's in The spiritual realm that is all around us. We have these superstitions that, you know, the demonic presence can't enter a church, and, you know, if we just get a little holy water, we'll be able to... Can't, no, listen, those are, that's Hollywood. That's Hollywood. The enemy owns this dominion. Jesus has won it back, and one day he will come and sit on the throne physically. He will come in a physical sense, and he will take a physical throne in Jerusalem. But we are still waiting for that to happen. And so the enemy is still, he's still lurking, he's still at work, and we need to be aware of that. There's a few things that Paul points out to us in our passage, really two things in particular that, that, that are the enemy's strategies. There are probably many more than that, but, but these two particular he mentions in this text. He says that Satan is always trying to hinder us and always try to tempt us. Two things, hindering and tempting. We're gonna first consider what it looks like for the enemy to, 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 to attempt to hinder us. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Satan attempts to hinder God's word. Satan attempts to hinder God's word. Look at verse 13. It says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Now, Satan has long been at work trying to uh, hinder God's word. From the moment that man entered the scene, he is immediately put question into, on God's word, did he not, in the Garden of Eden? Let's look it up. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 it says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God actually say?" question mark "Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, I'm acknowledging that God spoke these words, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Here's Satan. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. And they sewed fig fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What happened? God's word was questioned. God's word was questioned. And then Eve literally was duped and deceived into thinking that God was withholding something from her. You see how sly he is. Oh, you can't live with that person. Does God really not want you to live with them? Does God not you really want you to have sex with them? Or, or you know, that even though you're not married, you know, did, does God really want that? Why? He's trying to hold something back. From, no, he's not. He's trying to protect you. God is trying to protect us. His word is a preserver of life. It gives us life. It is life. It breathes into us. And the enemy will do everything he can to rob it from you. These believers in, in Thessalonica, man, they, they didn't receive God's word as if it were man's word, but he received it as if it were God's word. That's the second thing that the enemy does. If he can't steal the seed from you, he'll get you to question the authenticity of it. And we see that today, right? I just had a conversation with somebody the, uh, earlier this last week, and and they said, "Yeah, but the Bible's man's words." Oh, it is. So so we talked about what does that mean? Actually, the Bible itself tells us that it's God's word, right? Second Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is God breathed is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, for training in all righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Although man pinned the words of the Bible, God is the author. God breathed his word out into man and out through man. Now, it would be, wouldn't be, would it be ridiculous if I said, oh, man, Brad Pitt is an incredible uh, you know, movie writer, he writes incredible movies. You think, like, well, hold on a second. Brad Pitt doesn't write movies, or maybe he does, but, he, but you know, the movies that he plays, he doesn't write them all. But I would say, no, but Brad Pitt wrote these movies. Well, no, he didn't write these movies. He took the words from somebody else, and he played them out in his own character. And, and his own, he used his own, you know, Character and mannerisms and different things to play out these words, but the author is somebody else That is how it works with God's word. Yes. He wrote through man But he wrote and he used man's you know Personality and their character and all of that as he pinned these words But he's the author He is the author it is breathed out by God Satan not only will cause man to question the authenticity of God's word as if it were just human beings, but he will also snatch it away. Jesus gave us a parable in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. I'm not going to read it for you. You can check it out later. But it's what we call the parable of the sower. Jesus talks about the sower that goes to sow seed. He's talking about as we go into the world, we're sowing seed on different types of soil. And the very first soil that he mentions is a heart-impacted path. And he says when the, the seed is sown on that path, it's so hard that it just sits there. The seed cannot penetrate the ground. You know when you, you try and seed your lawn and you just throw some seed out there, and it, next thing you know you have like you know, the entire, um, all of the birds in Middle Tennessee come to your house, and they're in your yard, and they're, they're stealing the seed because it can't get down into the ground you have to you have to unearth the ground a little bit you got to turn it over so that the seed can get down into it the many many people's hearts are so hardened that the seed lays on there and what happens jesus says is satan comes and snatches the seed away as if it had never been there in the first place you see if the seed is gone there can be what no fruit and so it's so important as we, when we come to hear God's word that our hearts are plowed and ready, that we're ready to listen and receive what it is that the Lord uh, wants us to. Because, and the reason why Satan steals the seed is because he understands the power of the seed. He understands what, what can happen if the seed actually does get down into the ground a little bit. He understands that it can birth forth fruit. He knows, he knows that the seed is the source of faith Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Why would Satan spend his time trying to rob us of God's word? Because he knows the power of it, folks. He understands that God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and joints and of marrow, and is discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Satan attempts to hinder God's Word by causing us to question God's intentions about what he said, the authenticity of it. And and, and also, he tries to keep our heart hard enough so he can just steal it away. These are the ploys of the enemy when it comes to to the Word of God. Now, thankfully, these Thessalonica believers didn't fall for that. I love that it says that they received the Word of God as it is. The word, that that it is truly the word of God and not the word of man. You see, Paul is combating these different people in that community. Uh, Some Jews, Judaizers that followed Paul around and said that he was a false teacher and all these different things. Also, many of the Greeks there were coming against Paul as well. And they were saying, oh, that that guy made up his own message. How can you know if this is really God's word or not? How could these guys know? You understand, they didn't walk around with a Bible back then. Literally, God was speaking through Paul. He wrote a letter to them, and they got a letter from Paul, and it said this, and, it, and, and, and hey, this, and it became the word of God. It was the word of God when he penned it. How could they receive it as such? Listen, because it bore fruit in their life. They saw the power of the words that were, they were receiving, and it transformed people's lives. How do you know that this is God's word? Well, I promise you, if you, you can't really give it a try. You either believe it or you don't. You either open yourself up or you don't. There is no in between. Well, I'm kind of trying to... You know, that's why Jesus spoke in parables. He, he, he threw the truth out in a way that people could understand it on an earthly sense, right? And then people were saying, well, okay, I get the earthly analogy, but how does that translate... In what you're saying he, he expected you to seek him if you seek me you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart and so Jesus spoke in a way that that they would understand the analogy but he also expected questions back he expected you to walk by faith and say okay I don't understand this will you explain this to me will you help me understand and then he did but do you notice that he didn't just give the explanation I'm a firm believer that the reason Jesus didn't just give the explanation is because he could have forced people to believe just purely by the way that he taught. He could force people to believe, but he, he, he said, no, I've given you the truth. Now, you have to respond, right? That's the way salvation works. He came to us. He loved us. He provided a way for us, and now we have to respond to that. That's the biblical mandate of salvation. And so... Paul is saying this, these believers, man, they received, this as the word of God, and they knew it was the word of God because it saved, sanctified, matured, protected, released, count, it, it counseled, it built them up, it encouraged them. Do you know it's still doing that? Isn't it amazing that we open our Bibles and we kind of, <sighs> as if it's boring? <sighs> I got to read my Bible. Oh, man, I got to do it. And it's like, what? Are you kidding me? This thing is awesome. Like, you get into this thing, if you really, listen, and it comes down to, I believe, coming by faith and saying, I believe God's going to speak to me. Like, I get into the Word, and I start to read, and, 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 and I can just go through chapters and learn nothing if I'm not ready to receive. Like, I can just go through the motions of reading the Bible and, and it not really, I not really, I think like, man, what did I just read? I just, I'm like four chapters later, and I'm like, what is this even saying? Because I'm not paying attention. If Jesus was sitting down at a table across from you, would you not pay attention to every word he says? Well, this is his word. He wrote it down for us. He's like, no, you're going to need more in a conversation. I promise you, here is a manual. Go ahead and, and, and just meditate on this, Right? And and I'm thankful for that because I need that. But listen, if you come approach God's word in a way that you have no expectation for Him to speak, He won't. Why? Because it's a spiritual discerning book. It is, He's gonna speak and He's gonna reveal as you allow Him to. It's by faith, man. You know, are you gonna walk in faith? And I'm not talking blind faith, He's already revealed Himself. He's already, he's already demonstrated to us that he exists, that he's here, and he's already demonstrated in your life. If you're a believer, you, you've already seen the transformations that happen in his word. So, you know, we already know that. We need to know God's word, folks, so that we can run every thought that we have through Scripture so that we can, be, we can avoid being led astray. We need to know his word. You having depressive thoughts, Listen, those are no more than lies from the enemy. And I, and I think that we need to, to, to get into what does God say about me? What does his word say about me? We run it everything through the grid of Scripture, but if you don't know Scripture, it's going to be hard to do that. So we need to give ourselves up over to the Bible like you would your occupation, probably more important, right? Eternal life, temporal life or any other thing that you know really well, doesn't the Bible deserve more effort than the things? Because it's, these, we're talking about eternity here. We need to know the Bible. We need to be in the Bible. And it will become, it's the sword of the Spirit, man. Listen, it will, it will guide you, it will guard you, David said, from sin. It will help you. It will encourage you. It will lift you up. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the Word kind of like, man, Lord, I need to hear from you today. And, and before I'm done, I'm, thank you, Lord. So encouraged because his Word does that. So Satan is going to try attempt to hinder the Word of God, but also he's going to attempt to hinder our witness. Look at verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things that our own countrymen uh, as they did from the Jews who killed both Jesus uh, the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them at last anytime somebody receives and accepts the word of God they become a target for persecution Anytime someone receives and accepts the Word of God, as these churches, as these believers in Thessalonica did, they become a target for persecution. Satan will attempt to silence us by that way, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. That becomes a temptation, and we'll see that in a moment down below in our our text. But, but, But we know that Jesus said, listen, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Right? Paul said to Timothy that... All who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. We will be persecuted. It's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. You know, you're going to have issues that come up in life, and and there's going to be opposition. As you receive the word of God, you're going to, you know, and you're going to walk it out in your life, and people will oppose that. They don't like it. Why? Because the word of God is a stumbling block to the Jew, and it is foolishness to the Greek. People are offended by God's Word. People don't, don't like that. Now, there, there's, there's really two kinds of people that are offended by God's Word. There are religious people who are offended by the grace of God's Word, and there are liberal people who are offended by the narrowness of God's Word. So we have one group of people that says, you know, um, I'm going to make my way to God. This is the religious group. I'm going to make my way to God. I'm going to do it this way. And I don't, I don't want you or, or God or anybody else to tell me how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to do it this way. And then you have the liberal group of people who, who completely and totally reject any kind of authority, any kind of rules at all, and say, well, we're just all going to get there. Right? We're all going to get there. There is not just one way. There's multiple ways. The Bible says there's one way. And so, what do we have to do in order to sit in these two camps? We have to reject God's Word. We have to say, no, I'm not, I don't believe what it's saying. I don't believe in grace. Listen, there's many, many people in our culture today that would never say that, but they believe it. They would never say, well, I don't believe in grace, but they, that's how they live legalistically, through rules, trying to make their way to God. You cannot. If there was another way, the father would have released his son from the Garden of Gethsemane when he was crying out to his father, is there any other way? And, of course, the very next scene, Jesus is hanging on a cross because there is no other way. And as the song goes, he is the way. There is no other way. He's the path to the Father. We can come no other way. The Jews were opposing the gospel. Why? Because they were religious people who wanted to make their way. The the Gentiles didn't want to receive the gospel either. They wanted to live their lives. They wanted to live in their licentious lifestyle and do whatever they wanted to do and worship their own gods. And Paul was saying, man, Listen, this is par for the course, church. That's what he's saying to these guys. This is par for the course. You can expect this. Just like the, the church in Ju- Jerusalem, Judea, they experienced this, and you're going to experience it too. Here's the interesting thing is Paul said that, that the activity of the Jews in Judea was displeasing to God. You know, I, I think it's interesting when he pinned that because guess what? He was one of them. Like he was one of the people that was was thinking he was doing God's will, and he was snuffing out the church. He was killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians. He was pushing Christians out of Judea, like he said here. And then one day he had a collision with the Lord, and he transformed his life. And now he gives his life up to go and tell everybody else about the gospel. It's interesting that he says, yeah, the Jews pushed us out. They drove us out. He was part of it. He was part of that whole process of Jesus being crucified and and all of these things. Paul was was part of the Sanhedrin, the the 70 sort of elite, uh, you know, Jewish leaders in his day. And he was part of all uh, all of this process of persecuting Christians. And isn't it interesting when Jesus has that conversation with him that he says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Don't you know who you're persecuting? You're persecuting me. And then, he, and then he has that revelation, and the Lord opens up his eyes. It was displeasing to God. Isn't it interesting how most religious people think they're pleasing God in their actions and their zealousness, and actually they're displeasing God? You know, the Jews thought that they were doing the right thing, but, but here's the thing is they totally missed what the word of god had to say about their mission what was their mission to, to completely isolate themselves from the world right and, so, and and keep god contained in their own little world so nobody else could find him is that what their purpose was no absolutely not in fact multiple scriptures in the old testament isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 isaiah chapter 42 talk about the jews being a light unto the gentile nations Their job was to live in such a way that everybody would look at them and go, whoa, what is that all about? Who is this God that they're worshiping? And in fact, you know, as they were coming out of Egypt, you saw that, right? You saw the the nations were afraid of the God of the Jews because of the things that they saw. And yet, they concealed God and they hid him from the world. So God said, I'll do it a different way. I'm going to use... Other people. I'm going to bring, and in fact, Paul, who was the Jew of Jews, becomes the propagator of the gospel to the Gentiles, to the very people that the Jews are trying to conceal the gospel from. Isn't that interesting? He was super zealous. The Jews were super zealous about that. And yet, oftentimes, our zealousness can lead us down the wrong path. And again, that is why it's so important that we know the scriptures. Is my zealousness for this particular thing that I feel so strongly about scriptural? Is it biblical? If the Jews would have considered that question, they would have seen, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be a light. (laughs) We're supposed to be a light to the nations, not a, a concealer of light to the nations. And notice what it says here. As they do this, they are, as they hinder the gospel from going forward, they're filling up. The measure of their sins they are compiling a debt that they cannot satisfy they are compiling sins upon sins upon sins and one day they are going to experience the wrath of those sins you guys know the um, the story of Kanye West you know it's been it's been kind of interesting I've been watching him his story I've been you know researching a little bit about how did he become a believer and there has, there's not really a lot of information on that. Well, there was just an article released uh, of an interview of the pastor that's been discipling Kanye West, actually. And what Kanye West said was, I felt the burden of my sin. I was being buried by my sin. And I knew I had to find the outlet for that. And so somehow he came into interaction with this, this pastor in California. And he started to being discipled. And, and the, he had already been saved. He told the guy, look, I, I have totally given my life to the Lord. I need to now be discipled, and I need somebody to disciple me. And so he's been meeting with this pastor, and, and they've been, he's been discipling him. Now, um, you know, it, it's not amazing that Kanye West, uh, you know, the person Kanye West got saved. It's amazing that people get saved, right? It's not amazing that popular people or celebrities get saved. That's not amazing. It's amazing that God saves people and that God can use people, right? But how amazing is it that God can take a guy who has a platform like he has, and he can save that guy, and that guy can then give him all the glory? How, how amazing is that? Now, again, it's a wait-and-see thing. I'm not a Christian that's waiting to see if he's going to fail. I'm praising God that he got saved. And I'm believing, you know, again, that, that this man is walking with the Lord. But those... Many many Christians are almost being like the Pharisees. Well, is he really? We'll see, kind of thing. And, and it's not wrong to you know posture and see. We'll see. Guess what? You'll see. You'll see. You'll end up seeing whether he really received the word or not. Will he fail? Yes, you fail. Listen, when he fails, don't point. Oh man, look. At well, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it wasn't real. Gosh, if they did that in my life, man, this would be an empty place. And if they looked at your life, they'd do the same thing. they be like, man, he did it again. Man, he failed again. Hey, guess what? You know, I, it was so funny. We, um, we did a radio program yesterday, Patty and I, with uh, Marty. And Marty goes, he goes, man, I love you so much because you just stand up there and you just go, I messed up. I messed up. I want to do that, he said. And I'm like, oh, man, that's hilarious. It's, it's, it's true, though. We've all messed up. We could all stand in the, in the center and say, I've messed up, but, but because of the grace of God, I am what I am. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I love that. So Paul is saying that the, the Jews aren't fulfilling their role, and yet they're welling up sin upon their their lives, and guess what? One day the wrath of God is going to be released. And he's not just talking about a seven-year tribulation period as if that were just the wrath that he's talking about. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about a wrath that exists for eternity. John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Listen, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God remains on him. And so for all of eternity, the wrath of God will remain on that person because they have uh, not been willing to bow their knee to Jesus. Satan attempts to hinder God's word. He attempts to hinder our witness. And thirdly, he attempts to hinder our gatherings. Look at verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul is letting us in on his own personal life here. He's letting us peek into his life, and he's saying, listen, I understand the battle that I'm in, and I want you to understand the battle that we're all in. I am being hindered. Now, we could say like this, God's not allowing me, right? We, we could say it like that. Paul could have said it like that. It wouldn't have been theologically incorrect because God's in control, but it would it would." it would take our eyes off of really the real issue that there is an enemy that is real, that is, that is at work in this world trying to hinder us from accomplishing what God has to accomplish us, you know, whatever his will is for us. He's trying to hinder that. And apparently, he can Apparently, the Lord allows him to do that for whatever reason. We know that that whatever the enemy means for evil, God uses for good. But what we see here is that Paul calls attention to the spiritual warfare in his own life. I, I wonder if many of us walk through life and we never, ever even think for a moment that what we're dealing with is spiritual in nature, that we're being hindered by the enemy. Why do you think the enemy would want to hinder you? Because you're a threat. Be concerned when he's not trying to hinder you. Be concerned when you're not a threat at all that they just go, just keep doing what you're doing, man. <laughs> you're doing it. You know what I mean? Don't. Oh, man, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that, that Satan's trying to hinder because I'm a threat to his dominion. The Lord allows him to do these kinds of things, but again, you know, it's all for our good, and it's all for his glory. It's all for our good and all for his glory. Sometimes we need pressure in our lives to push us along. You know, the pearl, how it's formed in the clam is that that little grain of sand gets in the mouth of the, of the clam, and it irritates the clam, and it sits there, for, 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 and the pressure that exists within that clam produces this pearl, and God's trying to produce pearls in your life. Now, don't you wish he could do it another way? I mean, Couldn't we do it some other way, Lord? Isn't that what Jesus asked? Isn't there another way? And the Lord said, no, this is the way I do it. And so we can be mad about that, or we can say, Lord, do it. I want to become more like Jesus. We can, as James said, consider it pure joy when we encounter various trials, you know, because they're going to produce good fruit in our life. Now, we have to to remember that God is at work, but the enemy is too. Paul is saying, man, I, I wanted to come to you. I wanted to come to you, but I couldn't. I couldn't. And, it, and he recognizes why he could. not We don't know why. It doesn't tell us why. We, would, we could speculate 100 different reasons why Paul couldn't come to them, but it, the Bible doesn't say, so we don't know. But what we know is that Paul calls it out. And then he says, but he won't hinder me forever. He will not hinder me forever. There is a time frame on this hindering. And he tells them, man, when Jesus comes back, he's going to try and hinder our gathering here now but when jesus comes back we are going to gather and we when we gather you know you will be uh, the our to our glory and joy because of what the lord has done in your life and he used us to bring the gospel to you and one day we will be reunited and we'll be able to you know fellowship and all of that in heaven together don't don't we say that to each other oh man when somebody leaves they move you're like hey guess what man it's, it's just so long because I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you in heaven, right? I'm going to be able to fellowship with you there. Paul is saying, man, the Lord is, when he comes, I'm gonna, we're going to boast about you because of what, what you, the Lord is doing in your life. This moves us to the, to the second thing, the second strategy of the enemy, tempting. Satan first tempts us to be moved by afflictions. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, we could hear it. Listen to the love that Paul has for these guys man. He he was he couldn't bear it any longer like he is just so concerned about these believers. It's and again think about what he said last week. Paul uses the analogy of a mother and a father right and he's like a spiritual mother to them and a spiritual father to them right. And, and, and now he's saying, man, I couldn't bear it any longer. You know, as a, as a parent, how you, you, your, your child, if, there's, if something happens, you can't bear it. You can't stand that they're maybe in a state of pain or maybe you're separated from or whatever. You can't stand it. You're a parent. You love them. Paul is saying, my love was so great for these believers that I couldn't stand it any longer. I sent Timothy. This reminds me of a moment when my wife and I were, uh, we were, our family was getting ready to go out to dinner one time. And, uh. We, we were taking two cars for some reason. So we got in the cars and we left and we went down to the restaurant. And, you know, when we got there, um, my wife goes, hey, where's Jude? I thought he was with you. And I was like, and, and I said, well, well, I thought he was with you. And I didn't really, but I just wanted her to know that I was thinking about it <laughs> just so that, you know, she thought that I was a better dad than I really am. So I wasn't thinking about him. But then when she realized, like, oh, man, he's not here, I got in my car and drove recklessly to my house thinking everything that could, the worst possible things could, could, could happen. You know, when we left, he's running, he's five years old or so at this time, he's running out the, up the driveway, dad, dad, you know, and I'm thinking these things in my mind, recklessly driving to my house. I pull in my driveway and I jump out of the car, I run in the house and I'm like, Jude, Jude, where are you? Jude, and no response. And my heart, is just pounding out of my chest. Where is he? Where is he? That longing. I need to see him right now. I can't bear it any longer. And then he pops up at the top of the stairs, and I'm standing at the bottom, and I'm like, there you are, and relief fell upon me. I imagine this is what Paul is feeling. Like that, you can, the terror of wondering what is going on with these believers. You understand when he left, he'd only been there maybe three weeks. These believers got very little training. They, they didn't get a lot of the word of God. And yet Paul says, man, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about you. I, I, want you to, I want you to thrive in this situation. I want you to make sure you do well. And so as a dad or a mom would, he, he, he's like, I, I'm hindered, but I'm going to send Timothy. So just, Timothy goes to see them. And this is why we have this letter, because Timothy went and spent time with them, and then he reported back, dude, they're doing okay, Paul. You don't have to worry about it. I can imagine the relief upon the spiritual father thinking about his spiritual children in Thessalonica that are experiencing these afflictions and all. But listen to why Paul sent Timothy. Two reasons. To to establish and to exhort. To establish and to exhort these believers in their faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. The enemy will try, will tempt you to be moved by your afflictions. He will tempt you to be moved by your afflictions. But it is when you are established and exhorted in God's word, you can stand firm. You can stand firm in the faith. He's exhorting them. He's exhorting them as Peter did in 1 Peter 5 8. Uh, Through 11 be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him firm in your faith knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world And after you have suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you to be to him Be the dominion forever and ever, amen. And so we remind ourselves, we exhort ourselves with God's word when we encounter these various different afflictions that the enemy is tempting us to be moved by. I love the fact, you know, that Paul says, I am not moved. He experienced more affliction than anybody I know in the Bible other than Jesus. And he said, man, I'm not moved. The enemy will tempt you to be moved. With affliction, he will also tempt you to give up on God. Look at verse five. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, with and our labor be would be in vain. So Paul knew that these Christians, um, if they could be grounded in God's word, that they would be better prepared. to face the temptations of the tempter he knows that he's the tempter he's faced these temptations before and so he's concerned about these believers you know the, the enemy is sly man he is deceitful he's a liar and, and he has the ability as Paul said in 2nd Corinthians 4 4 to blind the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God he will also try and persuade believers to stop believing. You know, if the enemy can't blind you from the gospel, he'll tempt you to give up on it. He'll tempt you to give, oh, I tried that. Didn't work. I don't know if you try the gospel. It's something you give your whole life to. Remember the message of Job's wife? Curse God and die. I mean, she would obviously given up. Why don't you Job. Look at the things that you're facing. This is the kind of thing that the enemy will tempt you with. Just give up. This isn't real. The Lord's not there. He doesn't care. All lies. All deception. Paul said, man, I had had fear that you would be tempted, but when Timothy came back from from this place i you were more founded than i really realized isn't it amazing that we can trust the holy spirit in the life of those people that we love so much and that we long to see become passionate believers for christ that we can trust that the holy spirit's at work in their life the holy spirit was at work in these people's lives they had no foundation zero and yet they were thriving and not only surviving their trial but they were actually sharing the gospel. They took the words that they received, everything that they knew, limited as it was, and they were sharing with other people. is that amazing? That's a work of the Holy Spirit. The enemy will try and tempt us to give up on God, but don't you do it. Don't you dare do it. You understand all of this is temporary. Every single trial that you go through is temporary. One day, the, you'll be given up. You will receive victory. It might mean death. That's okay if you're a believer. It's okay because then you will be reconciled to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. It may mean that. He didn't guarantee us eternal life here, but he did did promise us eternal life. And so we can trust the Lord, man. The enemy is going to tempt us to give up on God. Don't you do it. Don't you dare do it because you know what? What? My Bible says God wins. I don't want to be on the losing team. I want to be on the Lord's side. You know, if God is for you, who can be against you? Give your heart to the Lord and be steadfast in walking with Him, knowing His Word. And you know, the battle that you face, no matter what it is, you will be prepared for if you give yourself over to the Word And you give yourself over to the Holy Spirit and allow God to work in your life. Listen, it's not complicated. God made it real, real simple. He penned 66 books for you and I. And he said, you want to know about me? Here you go. This is who I am. And if you trust in this, you will see all of these things come to fruition in your life. But you got to trust me. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for... There was so much, Lord, in these passages, and yet, Lord, we trust that you have spoken to our hearts this morning. We thank you that your word tells us in 1 John 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That We don't look for Satan around every corner. We don't look for him around every bush or every circumstance, but we do uh, recognize his existence. We do recognize that, that he and his minions are at work in this world, and that he, he has a strategy against us to both hinder and tempt. And we just ask for a spiritual revelation in our own lives today, Lord, as it relates to these strategies. Lord, as we considered before the text, Lord, that we, we, it's not enough to just know the weaknesses and the strengths of our enemy or to know the weaknesses and strengths of ourselves, but we need to know both. And we thank you that you are faithful to reveal to us, Lord, that when we are weak, we are strong. So recognizing, Lord, those areas in our life that we need to really be protective of and, and surrender to you in. Because they're areas that we, may, we are prone to fall. Your word tells us that if we resist the enemy, he'll flee. And so will you give us strengths in those weaknesses today, Lord? Will you help him to see that our weaknesses are actually strengths because of you? And that that our weaknesses become weaknesses to him if we're steadfast in you, Lord. Will you strengthen us today, God? Will you help us in our strengths to not become arrogant and prideful as if we would never fall in this way? Lord, the enemy wants us to think that we are stronger than we really are. We are nothing without you, Lord. Will you fill us with your spirit today? Will you keep us strong in those areas that we aren't struggling with today, will you help us, Lord? We just surrender our hearts to you this morning. Lord, we thank you for the gospel that has come down for us. That Jesus himself came from heaven to earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, gave himself up upon a cross as a criminal. Sinless and perfected, and yet counted as a criminal, and he was crucified for us. His blood shed. We thank you that he was buried, and just as you said, three days later, he rose again from the dead. And your word tells us if we put our faith in the gospel, that we shall be saved. Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank you for the gospel, Lord. We pray for anyone here this morning that is not a believer that needs to receive the gospel, you help them this morning to recognize that outside of the gospel, they are separated from you. There can be no communion with you. We can't have a relationship with you because our sin is in between you and us. But you built a bridge through your son that we could be forgiven, that we could establish that relationship that you so longed for that you would pay the penalty for. And so will you help us by faith this morning, anyone here, anyone listening online, Lord, anyone listening later, to be able to receive the gospel this morning by confessing that they are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, and he rose again from the dead, turning away from our sin and turning to you today, Lord. We receive that by faith, and we thank you that your word tells us that if we will do that. We'll be saved. We ask you for the believers in this place today, Lord, just for an anointing of your spirit, for the spiritual eyes, Lord, to see the, the war that we're in. Will you strengthen us? There are some here today, Lord, that are facing incredible persecutions, afflictions, trials, Lord. And yet you're telling us you're at work in the midst, Lord. You are doing things. And so in our pain, Lord, we want to just trust you and surrender to you. and We ask you to meet us this morning. You know pain. You know what it feels like, Lord. And we, you know how to comfort. And so we ask for your comfort upon us today. And Lord, we thank you for the elements that we have before us, Lord. The body and the blood of Christ. The symbols and this cup of juice and this piece of bread. Jesus, you instituted at the Last Supper this thing called Communion. And you told us to do it in remembrance of you. And so this morning, Lord, as we come forward and we receive, Lord, your, the symbolic uh, juice that represents your blood that was shed for our sin so we could be forgiven and reconciled, so our debt could be satisfied, we thank you, Lord. We remember you. We remember your sacrifice. We also, Lord, take that, that bread that was representative of your body that was broken for us, Lord, That you suffered all kinds of affliction for us, Lord. Your body was beaten beyond recognition, your word says. So we receive that with thanks this morning, Lord, that you would do that for us. Lord, as we partake, let us do it in remembrance of you and let us celebrate the freedom that we have because of the sacrifice that you've given to us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to continue to move in this service, Lord, as we partake of communion now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.